What's up, everybody? Matt Hofen along with Rich DeCray. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Uh, whether you're picking us up on the Apple Podcast Network or you're kidding us on Spotify or iHeartRadio, wherever you're catching us, tune in. I don't know. Thanks for being a part of it. We got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and a lot of recruiting stuff to talk about, as well as the top 25, the, the preseason, way too early preseason top 25. But we are hitting June. Uh, you know, June is what, 11 days away. And that means all the summer prognosticators are going to be out and about. So we're going to give you our top 10 and also go over the supporting news top 25 altogether. And again, a ton of recruiting stuff. But I want to start with this, Rich. Um, Sports is back somewhat with golf and NASCAR. And I, I don't, are you a NAS? Do you watch NASCAR? Are you a NASCAR fan? Yeah, electronically. I don't know what that means. Which is, is just is a that total like video joke. games? Matt, Matt, I don't know if you've seen, um, but NASCAR is having their actual drivers, what appears to me, sitting at home driving electronically via video game. Now, some of them were absolutely terrible in the first couple of weeks. That happened, but they were still racing. It was still being broadcast, and they had broadcasters actually announcing what was happening all via what I would call a simulated race. Did you not see any of that? You know there's real races now, right? Yeah, I know that, but I'm just saying I was a fan of it when it was, you know, all electronic. Just because I I thought it was odd. Yeah, I, it I grabbed didn't, my I attention didn't, for about five minutes. I didn't get minutes, into man. any of the like. I didn't get into the uh, the the basketball stuff. You know, Trey Young was in that NBA tournament, and the I didn't get into any of that. But the point I'm making is that there there was sports over the weekend. There was golf, which I don't watch. There was NASCAR, which I don't watch. But I'm not gonna lie, I did tune in for a little bit of NASCAR on Sunday, just because. It was a little bit of NASCAR. It was sports, you know. And outside of driving fast and turning left, I know nothing about NASCAR. But it was sports, and so I, I'm I'm that hungry for a sporting event that I I turned it on and watched it for about 20 25 minutes. I was like, okay, I'm done with it. But it, it gave me a little. It, it scratched the itch just a little bit. What, what, go ahead. You want to say something? I, really I do because you said driving fast and turning left. I, I mean, you could describe a catwalk during Fashion Week with the exact same terms: walking fast, turning left. Neither of which excite me. Okay, I don't know where to go from there, <laughs> other than to say, it was a it was a sporting event that went off without a hitch, with no fans in the stands. And I and I, the closer we get to the summer, subsequently the closer we get to the fall, and we know that man, football kids should be reporting for summer camp uh, summer camp workouts and stuff. I, I'm 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 leaning way over towards the give me football in the fall with no fans, as opposed to no football till spring. I would watch it. I, I I would if I had to. I think I would even pay money to watch it because I know the universities are going to say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, here's the deal. I I wouldn't pay ticket price for it. No, but I would I would pay a pay per view price. Right, and I'm thinking ticket price. Meaning that if you're at home and and you're paying ticket price to watch it on a television, they're gonna charge you essentially for four people. No, so I mean, I'm, a pay per view no, is like forty nine, right. fifty nine dollars. No, no, no. I, I get it, and I I think that would be a very wise a wise move if we weren't able to have these these sports live action with fans in the stands. And and here's why is 
for the universities, for these programs, they've talked about the cash cow that NCAA football is. However, at the same time, without the fans, a lot of that revenue that's been generated through those ticket sales has been wiped off. We can look previously during the whole pandemic, during a lot of the quarantine movies, movie theaters were closed down and they saw a lot of success by offering up digital versions through a subscription. So where you're saying you would pay a pay-per-view price, I would just pay a subscription. Give give me a monthly subscription price or give me a season subscription price for a team and, and I'm in. No questions asked. Well, and I don't think it's going to come to that because, you know, you got like Oklahoma versus Tennessee, Oklahoma versus Army. I think people are going to tune in and, and network broadcasts are going to sell a ton of advertising and the universities are going to get their money that way. But I can see them selling. And look, Oklahoma sports media is really the best in the business. I can see them selling like a sideline package. So you're there with Teddy Lehman. You're there with Chris Plank. As they go to the sideline, you get some inside stuff to what's going on there. Um, I, I can see them selling through Soonersports.com some sort of package that would recruit. But here's the thing. I was going to say recoup some of the money by not selling tickets, but – it's it's May 20th, and we're pretty much at the deadline for season ticket holders anyway. So they're getting season ticket money. I just – look, I, I don't know how it's going to work, okay? But what I'm saying is I think there's going to be a hunger that grow because baseball is going to start up in July. The NFL has already said that we're going – you know, they've, they've released their schedule, and they've released training camp openings and all that stuff. College football cannot afford, literally cannot afford to set this out. And where I used to be, going back a month and a half ago, I used to be on the side of this argument was you can't have, you know, you can't have college sports without fans in the stands. I was there. I was in that argument on that side. I think I've crossed fully over to, I'll watch it. I'll watch it on TV. I, I wish I could be there. I've paid for my season tickets. You know, the money's already been sent. I wish I could be there, but I would rather have a football game that I could watch, even if no one was there, as opposed to waiting until spring. I'm just, I'm, I'm, that's just where I am, man. I have fully crossed over to give me sports and give it to me now. And that's perfectly acceptable. Um, I'm sure you've heard Lincoln Riley's comments very recently about the situation and the, the biggest question that any program, any head coach, I feel like is fielding right now is when will the season start? Mm. What are you hearing? What's coming down the pipeline from the NCAA or the powers that be about these restart times? And it's hard to argue with the case that Lincoln Riley makes of one more day means one more day that a solution or a... Um, vaccine, whatever that might be, it's one more day that people have an opportunity to focus solely on that and the funds are pushed in its general direction over the entertainment industry. Right. And and there's so much, and I agree. And Lincoln Riley, all the interviews he's done this last week, he has handled everything with class. He's the guy you're, you're proud that he's your coach, you know, you're, you're proud he's affiliated with your program and he's done it great. I mean, he, and, and again, Mike Gundy, I think, said the right thing just the wrong way, you know, and then he wouldn't back down away from that. But you look at the difference between how Lincoln Riley was thought out and what he said and what Mike Gundy didn't think through what he said and the reactions to both of those. 
starkly different, but Lincoln Riley has handled it in the right way. And I do, I mean, I'll be first to admit, there's a lot of difference between amateurs and professionals. There's a, a big difference. And, and across the country, you've got some people saying we're going back to normal. So, uh, you know, we're going to work back towards normal. You got some people saying we're going to hold off. You got California saying we don't really know what we're going to do. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into this. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is true in almost every walk of life. At the end of the day, money talks, right? And that's what it's going to come down to. I just wanted to back up really quickly here because we can talk about the comments, the stark contrast between two coaches that reside in the state of Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley and Mike Gundy. But it's not to say that either one of those offered up something that was invalid. No, that's what I said. I said Mike Gundy said the right thing, but just the wrong oh, way. I, gotcha. I, I missed that little snippet. I heard wrong thing, wrong way. No, I think Mike Gundy's message was genuine. I think he really does care about that concession worker or that security mm-hmm. guard or that graduate assistant or that low-level coach. He really does. He's not – and I think it's the way it came across, and people were worried. Here's a guy making $5 million a right, year. And, and that's what I was getting at. Yeah. You have to look at the, the time span, the time that's elapsed between the comments as well, whereas Mike yeah. Gundy was was more towards the forefront And there's a, a the yeah, what you're saying is there's a ton more information now. Right. Yeah. So Gundy, forefront of the conversation, Lincoln Riley, more so on the back end. You know, we – we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We can see the, you've already mentioned it, sports return this past weekend in one form or another. Whether it's your sport or not, it is sports at its very core. And so it does bode well for the future. It does say that, hey, things will return to normal. Not not anytime in the extreme near future, but sometime soon. Well, it could set up to be a pretty fun summer because, like like we said, we know baseball around July 4th weekend. looks like the NBA is going to do something through the summer and then prolong the start of their next season. But I want my sports, man. I want my. I haven't been hungry enough to watch Korean baseball yet, but I'd like to sleep during that time frame. So whatever. Hey, we've got a ton of recruiting information that we're going to deliver coming up and uh, starting with a couple of two new recruits. Somebody that Caleb Leary, Caleb Leary, someone that Caleb Williams is going after as far as one of the guys he's recruiting and an update on Christian Leary. Someone's trying to sneak in and steal him away from the Sooners. Oklahoma's 2021 recruiting class getting a massive boost last week with the additions of Mario Williams and Clayton Smith. Mario Williams, a five-star receiver out of Florida. Clayton Smith, a four-star linebacker, defensive end hybrid type guy. Out of Texas, Texarkana to be more specific, the Sooners recruiting rankings jump up to number three in the conference, number 26 nationally. And they've just, I mean, they're climbing and, and they've got, and I've, I've said this a lot, a lot, all along. OU will finish top five nationally in recruiting. I would be shocked if they're not number one in the big 12, but I that's, that's a change in tune for you. No, nah, but at the end of the day, you- when, at, when it's all over with? At the end of the day, you you and I have this conversation. Uh-oh, I don't remember. Where I was saying top five, potentially top three. You said number one. Or were you quoting Caleb Williams? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've always said they'll be I, – I think they can't – I really do believe it's going to come down between Oklahoma and Ohio State, the way this recruiting cycle is 
shaping up. It is going to be a massive war. And a key player in that is going to be the Abuka kid, the receiver um, that Oklahoma and Ohio State are both going after pretty heavily. And we're going to get into some talk about him. But I think that's going to help play a role in this. Oklahoma landing the five-star receiver already in Mario Williams to go along with four-star receiver Cody Jackson. And there's a ton of other receiver targets out there. Clayton Smith, though, is the kind of the um, – you want to say the crown jewel of this um, of this class right now? He he is a, he's the same position as Ethan Downs. He's a weak side defensive end. He's got the frame though and an athleticism that can drop him back into a linebacker position. And here's what's great on that position alone: Smith is the number four kid in the nation as far as the weak side defensive end prospect. Ethan Downs is number nine. And so you're really loading up at that position. And when you add him into a guy like Jordan Mukes and then the Stutzman kid, those are two three-star prospects. It's time. I, I do believe it's time for people to stop bagging on defensive recruiting. Because if you're still that guy out there that every time we make a post or someone else makes a post about an offensive recruit, about a Caleb Williams update, and you're that guy who still says, yeah, but what are they doing on the defense? When are they going to recruit defensive players? Either you're in a rut that you just got to say that because you're so bitter over how bad the defense got, which, hey, I was there. You were there. I think a lot of us were there in that boat. But you're either stuck in a bitter rut about that or you just don't know what's going on recruiting-wise because what Alex Grinch and company are doing as far as landing some of these guys is pretty remarkable. And I think it's only going to get better where, you know, you're, they're in on a bunch, a bunch of good kids defensively. The Sooners right now, seven commitments for the 2021 class. Four of the seven are on the defensive side of the ball, meaning – when next time you say, well, where are the defensive recruits? The answer is going to be, well, there's more defensive guys than there are offensive guys in the fold right now. Uh, Cody Jackson, Mario Williams, two receivers right now the Sooners have locked up. They're going after a couple more. Mario Williams, depending on which which recruiting uh, site you look Outlet, at, yeah. he's number one to number four as far as receivers in this class. But the truth of the matter is 5'10", 165, kid is a, a – pretty pretty good at what he does and we've got some video posted of him at uh, heartland-sports.com he's fast man you definitely have to like a guy like mario williams coming into the fold as it pertains to the oklahoma sooners in this 2021 recruiting cycle one thing that oklahoma in my opinion has not had a trouble with is landing wide receiver targets who can be impact players and eventually make their way into the first or early second round of the NFL draft. Oklahoma, regardless of where they're recruiting, they're drawing the attention of these offensive guys. Mario Williams is an example of that, if you're asking me. But one thing I do know is he's, and I use this term quite frequently, but it really does apply in this situation. Mario Williams is not the linchpin of this recruiting class. Right. We all know that that hinges upon Caleb Williams. But the one thing that I really want to discuss here is you, when you go onto these different outlets that are doing rankings of recruits, obviously we've mentioned Williams is a potential number one wide receiver, depending on which one you're looking at. And then the Egbuka kid is also listed there as one of the top receivers in the class, whether Oklahoma gets him or doesn't get him is not a make or break factor for me. How do you feel 
when it comes to this class specifically in terms of needs, does it really address that need? Because you and I sat down, Matt, and we previously talked about the idea of how many wide receivers mm -hmm. can Oklahoma take. We're looking at a couple that are, are currently heavy leans towards Oklahoma. We're looking at a couple that have committed as well. And you said, was it three? I said three or four. Three yeah. would be that number. Yeah. And I said they could even extend that to five. So we're using my number. It bodes well for Oklahoma expanding that, opening that up and taking a number of these guys. Whereas my impression I get from you is they're going to have to shut it down and someone's scholarship offer is going to be pooled. I do think it's going to, I mean, the, when you, when you look and, and again, we've got guys out there, we're going to go down the list of guys, but um, you know, th there's, there's guys out there that are still putting Oklahoma like Keon Coleman, you know, he, he's a four-star receiver who put Oklahoma in his top six. We've got Egbuka. We, we've got, you know, um, Christian Leary. I do think they're going to take at least four on, on this class. Mm -hmm. And as far as the success of the class goes, like I said, I think you're competing head-to-head -head with Ohio State to ultimately get that number one spot. And it's got to – I do think – I mean, look, we're, we're going to talk – again, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we're going to – we're going to talk about Caleb Williams here in a minute. You're right. He is the key cog in this wheel. But Caleb Williams is coming to Oklahoma. Everybody knows that now. But even with Caleb Williams, I think you've got to add either Christian Leary or Egbuka into this class to, to maintain that pace with Ohio State. And also, it depends on what Samar Wheaton does. Right, and you that's know, the name I was about to mention. And he's, but I even again, I'm I'm going to say even with Samar Wheaton in this class and and Caleb Williams in this class, I think you still have to go with Christian Lee or Ibuka. I, I mean, look, they're going to be number one in the Big Twelve. I, I I really believe that. But are they going to be able to go toe to toe with Ohio State? And the answer is not without Egbuka or Christian Leary. Yeah, they. you're absolutely right. What we know is that Oklahoma is going to have to get another five-star recruit, if not two more, to compete with what Ohio State is putting together for this class. There are more than a handful of four-stars that are out there at this point in time that I do believe will eventually commit to the University of Oklahoma. You've mentioned Leary. We haven't even brought up the name Bryce Foster at this point as an offensive uh, mm -hmm. lineman. There there are some quality, quality prospects out there who, again, heavy leans towards Oklahoma who have yet to commit. But it brings up the question, and we won't know until we get later in this recruiting cycle, of how many players is Oklahoma actually looking at signing when signing day rolls around. Yeah, but clearly they're going after receivers and they're going after them in mass. Um, Egbuka announced his final four, so to speak, you know, top four guys. And um, Oklahoma clearly in that mix. I, I think, I really believe, if if you made me bet on it now, he, he's Ohio State. I mean, I I think Oklahoma's making inroads with him. More specifically, I think Caleb Williams is is making inroads with him. But his his final four right now, are Washington, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. And I, 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 if I had to bet, like right now, right this second, where is he going to go to school? I would have to put money on Ohio State. But that there's still time. There's still a lot of time on this. And Egbuka is 6'1", 190 pounds. 
He's got great hands. Last season as a junior, 1,607 receiving yards and 25 touchdowns. He, he's pretty special, and he's that guy like a Mario Williams that can kind of push your your recruiting class over the hurdle or over the edge and put you on par with whoever's ahead of you. And right now, nationally, there's about 25 teams ahead of Oklahoma. Keon Coleman is another kid who is a, he's kind of a name that's that's under the radar and and you almost get the picture like here's what Oklahoma's setting up they want Christian Leary they want Emeka Egbuka can they get them both if not if they're both not coming then who else can they go after and a guy like Keon Coleman fits in with that just fine he's a, again a four-star receiver and he's got a lot of talent he's he's a taller guy a bigger body 6'4 185 he's um 24-7 has him as the number five overall prospect from the state of Louisiana and a number 17 uh, receiver in the 2021 class. And he's he's the multiple sports star like we've talked about. 22 touchdowns. Listen to this, Rich. I don't know if you've seen this stat. This is the craziest stat that I've seen as far as a recruit, okay? He only had 35 catches last season. Of those 35 catches, 22 of them were touchdowns. 22 out of 35 catches going for scores average 32.7 yards per reception. So it's not like if you don't get Leary or you don't get a Buka and you got to, you know, this is the next guy in line. It's not like you're going to chop liver. These are really high quality guys. And, and what it sells most, the, the, the biggest thing it's saying is there's a lot of talent out there that really wants to come to Oklahoma. When you've got guys lining up to potentially be the fourth or the fifth receiver in a class, and they're of this caliber, they're four stars, they're averaging 30-plus yards per reception, that says a lot about your program, that these guys are wanting to come, and they'll be willing to stand in line to do that. Right. It it says a lot about, you've said the program, I'm going to take it one step further and say the coaching staff, more specifically, the development of an individual because what are, what are people watching what are prospects what are recruits what are nfl hopefuls watching they're always considering how, where is my least path of resistance to the nfl going to come from and it just so happens that <laughs> oklahoma has a really good track record right now now there are other universities that have a, a similar track record of pushing wide receivers into the NFL, but most recently it has undoubtedly been Oklahoma with their string of receivers who have not only appeared as a Heisman finalist or won the Belenikoff award or have been mentioned as a finalist for the Belenikoff award, but have heard their names called in the first round, which as we all know, first round equals more money, guaranteed money, guaranteed money. Did you see, uh, speaking of uh, Oklahoma's track record of putting guys in the NFL, did you see Tom Herman's comments this last week? I did not. I, I don't really pay him much attention. I, I mean, I thought it was a joke at first, but it's it's it's, re- it's just Tom Herman being real. You know, talking about what does he need to do to compete with Oklahoma, and he talks about cultivating and developing talent. You know, they still need to do that, and that's been the knock against Texas for such a long time is is actually developing, you know, talent that they've – uh, that, that they've gotten on campus. Um, but then he says, he says this, he goes, and then again, I, I, at some point I feel like Oklahoma's going to run out of first and second round draft picks at quarterback. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean, think that's going to happen anytime look, soon. If, if I'm Lincoln Riley and I'm, I'm somebody, I'm recruiting the same kid. If I'm recruiting Samar Wheaton, I'm going to be like, Hey, here's what the other coach says about us. But it's mm-hmm. truth. You know, All right, we got some updates on, um, on Caleb Williams that we got to go over and some more. Uh, what about the defensive side of the ball? Uh, the Sooners 
needing to go the JUCO route, do they need to go the JUCO route or do they want to go to the JUCO route? I say it's both. Um, so we're going to talk about that as well. More or less, it was a quiet week on the Caleb Williams front. Everybody's keeping an eye on him because he is, as we've already talked about, the key cog in this wheel. But there was some news that broke, not about Caleb Williams, but it has an effect on Caleb Williams in as much as Caleb Williams a couple weeks ago released his top, his final three, Oklahoma, Maryland, LSU. Now, we know the Nussmeyer kid going to LSU and announced that on the exact same day that Caleb Williams announced his top three. Well, now we know that baby Tua is going to Maryland. He's he's left Alabama and just what? you're good. You're uh, good. I, I think it's funny you're calling him baby Tua. They don't share the first name. Well it's it's very similar. Um but anyway, um <laughs> I'm and I'm not gonna say Tago Violoa. You know, that's just too much to say. Baby Tago Viola see it just it baby Tua rose off the tongue, man. T-T. Anyway I'm not going to call him TT, uh, Tiny Tua. Um, but anyway, he's going to Maryland. And again, everyone's talking about, well, that doesn't mean Caleb Williams. No, it does. It's exactly what it means. Maryland knows Caleb. Look, if you know that Caleb Williams is coming to your campus, are you going to go recruit, be it a Tagle Vialoa or be it right. an Usmeyer? If you know Caleb Williams is coming, you're going to recruit somebody else. Here's what's crazy to me. And you bring, you hit the nail on the head with this one. And the reality is if Oklahoma was not 90 plus percent sure that Caleb Williams was going to commit to university. Don't you think there would be another name floating out there? Because let's, let's go back just even a couple months here. Oklahoma had a quarterback on lock. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden the decommitment happens. And what happens that name is immediately Caleb Williams being is immediately thrust into the conversation. Oklahoma is not going to wait for a quarterback, especially knowing that in the 2020 class, they had a late signee. Well, I guess a late reveal more than signee, but a late reveal on a quarterback prospect. Right. Well, yeah. And we talked about that. You know, the, the Morris kid is, is that who you're talking about? Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and, and that was kind of a, necessity to, to get someone to, to come in. Right. But, and I, you almost wonder now as high as Caleb Williams has been on Oklahoma and Oklahoma on Caleb Williams, it is almost the perfect marriage between him and Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley. Did that play any role into Brock Vandergriff's decision? Was this thing with Caleb Williams already in the works? And then Brock Vandergriff goes, yeah, I don't know how this is going to fit with me. I'm going to, I mean, does he see it developing? Because, you know, I mean, if you're a recruit and you, you mean, and you're a high profile kid and you, you got a good offensive brain or a good defensive brain based on where you play and you go and you find the right location and you just know, and that coach knows, and that's what's happened with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. And it's just one, I, I, I I'm curious and this is all speculation, but did this come about because Brock Vandergriff left to go to Georgia or did Brock Vandergriff leave to go to Georgia because this came about? We'll never know. And I do know, at least I claim to know, I don't have any real knowledge of the relationship between Vandergriff and Williams, but there's no wasted words between those two. That's the impression right. that I get when they've been asked to comment because they are now forever linked due to the word that Caleb Williams will commit. And of course the decommitment of Vandegrift from Oklahoma, they will be forever linked. They, they will be compared 
throughout the remainder of their careers, whether that's just college or whether that continues in to the NFL. These, these two quarterbacks will be linked. We won't have the answer to your question, but again, I don't sense there's any, any last words between the two. Okay, so Caleb Williams, as you know, is recruiting guys to come play football with him at the place that he's going to designate at some time in the near future, I believe. This is he's in finals week right now. That was his his Monday update. This is the last week of school. And I think after we hit into the summer, you know, as school's out, I think that's when it's going to be commitment time for Caleb Williams. I mean, how long is how long do you get to play it out now? Everybody knows you're coming to Oklahoma. Um I think watching Christian Leary on June 6th is going to be very interesting now. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit, but he's out recruiting offensive and defensive guys. Both the guys that committed last week, had something very, very directly related to Caleb Williams. And now he's going after one of the top offensive linemen in the nation. Now you mentioned Bryce Foster, who seems to be coming down between Oklahoma and Texas A&M with Oklahoma having a slight lean with Bryce Foster, but Christian, uh, uh, sorry, Caleb Williams is going after Tristan Lee. And here's what he says is Tristan Lee is one of my good friends. One of my good buddies. He's a pretty good ball player and he, and he has a bunch of offers. I think 40, including, and he mentions the three finals, LSU, Maryland, and Oklahoma, meaning there's a tie-in with Christian Lee and Caleb Williams wherever he goes. Now, whenever you see Caleb Williams say LSU, Maryland, or Oklahoma, you can just rule that out to say Oklahoma, okay? Because he's got to talk about the final three because he's connected to the Sports Illustrated blog. I feel like we've beaten that horse as much as we can. But whenever he, whenever you see Caleb Williams mention those three schools, he's talking specifically about Oklahoma. And then he says this about Christian Lee. He says, I'm recruiting him to be my left tackle and to protect my backside. And then this is kind of funny. He says, he can get whatever he wants to come with me. I'll pay for his freaking dinner every day. <laughs> you know, and so it, it, you know, Caleb Williams is really heavy. And we're talking about those five-star guys. Right. And, and a lot of times we make the mistake of, of putting a five-star designation on a skill position guy, a running back, a wide receiver, a quarterback, or a linebacker or whatever. But if, if Oklahoma were to land Bryce Foster and Tristan Lee, we're talking about not just catching up with Ohio State, but we're talking about surpassing Ohio State. Lee is 6'6", 285, and he really does have 40 scholarship offers. He's ranked as the number three player from the state of Virginia and the number six overall offensive tackle prospect by 24-7. Um, now, he is also... Leaning toward where we talked about Ibuka leaning towards Ohio State. Lee's at this point seems to be leaning towards Clemson, but Oklahoma definitely, definitely not out of the picture here. So on the Caleb Williams front this week, nothing really pertained to him specifically, but you got Tua's little brother going from Alabama to Maryland, essentially eliminating the Terrapins from this this sweepstakes. And you got the, the the name dropping of a guy like Christian Lee. Now and now you you know Tristan Lee, I know. You you know that Caleb Williams isn't gonna get everybody that he goes after to come to the University of Oklahoma with him. But the fact that he's getting an audience, again, it just goes to talk about the pool of leadership that Williams has. We've mentioned very briefly top talent wants to play with top talent. 
of course, it puts him in a spotlight. Here's what I love about the Caleb Williams situation, since he will continue and remain for this point in time until that commitment comes, will remain at the center of the conversation when it comes to recruiting and the Oklahoma Sooners, LSU Tigers, and, and Maryland Terrapins. I'm not going to rehash what you've already said, but what we're seeing with this SI thing is that Caleb Williams is building a brand. He He's building an individual brand for the future. And he, I, I believe um, that he's a smart kid who's recognizing that this SI venture is building his future for him. What's what's one of the best universities at individual brand, branding for their players? <laughs> That's right. It's it's the way to go, Matt. It's the Oklahoma Sooners. We've seen what they've done time and time again through social media by branding each individual signee to really set them up for the future because Oklahoma's taken that mindset of, hey, it's it's not just about us. It's not about what can you bring to the table for us on the football field, but it's also how can we give back to you? Yeah. You've you've signed to lend your talents to the University of Oklahoma, so how can we push you forward in the direction that you want to go? It, it does seem, and you've used this term, like the perfect pairing, Caleb Williams, Oklahoma, but again, you like the, not only the influence, but this string of recruits that Caleb Williams has in tow. If it's Tristan Lee and he's that guy, he's a top target. He's a top priority for the University of Oklahoma. Fingers crossed that that does happen because, again, if you want to talk about branding, if you want to talk about the potential or least path of resistance to get to the NFL, where's one of the best places to play along the offensive line? It's under Bill Biedenboe at the University of Oklahoma. Oh, for sure. And and just to clarify what I'm talking about with Oklahoma and um, in Maryland and LSU being mentioned synonymously by Caleb Williams, Tristan Lee, if if he's going to go to the one of those three schools, it's going to be Oklahoma. And if he doesn't go to the one of those three schools, I believe it's going to be Clemson. I, that's that's all I'm saying when he talks about yeah, those those. I, I want to interject here. Do you have a, a little bit of knowledge on on that Clemson lean? Um, I was doing a little bit of searching over here as we were speaking. Mm-hmm. I've just everywhere I've looked says 100 percent undecided, which ultimately the only thing that that means is there have been no predictions made. Right. And that's, that's exactly what that means is that there is no crystal ball predictions so forth for that. But no, I do have some information that, uh, that he is leaning towards Clemson. Not, right. and that's what I thought yeah, is why I'm checking. Yeah. Not a guarantee. He's going to Clemson because right. if I, if I thought he was just, we no, wouldn't I mean, spend so much time talking about him. If I thought it was a guarantee, what you're saying to me is essentially that, that question that's being asked in today's age, which universities are recruiting you the hardest? And then they throw out the name Clemson. No, but it's, it's deeper than that. I mean, it's, it's more than this Clemson recruiting him hard. I, I really do believe that he, that he could end up there if he doesn't come to, I mean, he is in their territory. Basically, It's not going to be Maryland <laughs> or LSU. I mean, you can just, if you're Maryland or LSU, you know, sorry, you're out on this particularly Maryland. But I think if, if he doesn't come to Oklahoma, I would, I would, would not be surprised at all to see him go to Clemson. Now, Oklahoma, the the advantage, you talked about Bill Biedenboe. We talked about Lincoln Riley. We talked about the slew of receivers. The advantage that Oklahoma has on the offensive side of the ball is that people literally are willing to get in line to play here. And that line is getting kind of long because 
It's just talent upon talent upon talent on the offensive side of the ball. And so you can go to a guy for the 2021 class. So you can say, look, go ahead and commit. You might get to play as a freshman, but best of best case scenario is you're going to redshirt as a freshman and then you'll get to play as a redshirt freshman. And then you two years later, if you want to go to the NFL, we're setting a precedent for that. Or win a national championship. But on the defensive side <laughs> of the ball, where you're just basically saying we need players. So you don't really have that luxury. The guys that you get right now have to play right now. And that's why you're seeing more of a uh, Juco lean influence yeah. for some key positions. And Oklahoma, you know, they just hosted uh, Kyrie Jackson uh, for a, um, a, a virtual tour. And this is a, a Juco kid. Um, Oklahoma offered him back. And here's, here's, here's how you track whether a kid is how good he is. Okay. Oklahoma offered him back in February. His scholarship count was at nine when Oklahoma offered him. Now his his scholarship count stands at 20 plus. So Oklahoma was in early and everyone else was jumping in there. 6'3", 185. And he's, again, he's got that, that, that prototypical size and the prototypical strength that, that you like, you know, it's what Alex Grinch is looking at. Um, now, it's funny because I talk about LSU and Maryland and Oklahoma. Right now, this kid's trending with Oklahoma, Maryland, and West Virginia. And of those three, I I like Oklahoma. I mean, again, I like what Alex Grinch is doing. I, I like and, – and this is going to be an, an important role for Oklahoma's defense to play in 2020. Not just what happens on the field for the final record – but what happens on the field for all these recruits? Because they're watching. Was 2019 an, an anomaly? Was that improvement an anomaly just based off of the hype of the new coaching staff? Or is this defense really going in the right direction? And where I'm saying, I think guys like Caleb Williams, they're gonna they're gonna make their announcement early on the summer. I think guys like Kyrie Jackson and Dewan Warren, some of these JUCO guys that Oklahoma's going after. Their decisions aren't going to be later. Their their decisions aren't coming until November or even December because they want to watch how this plays out with the University of Oklahoma and what year two of Alex Grinch looks like. And speaking of of Dewan Warren, he actually uh, he he sent he set his recruiting date for Oklahoma. He's not even coming to campus until November 20th. And so, I again, you can you can make a you can commit to a university and then make an official visit, but. Um, he's actually said that he's not making his decision until December 14th. And he is, just in case you don't know who we're talking about, he is the top JUCO prospect right now. Uh, and Oklahoma's getting him on campus uh, in November, um, November 20th. And then he's uh, almost a month later, December 14th, he's going to make his announcement. That early signing period begins December 16th. So he's got two days before the early signing period he's going to announce. But it's, I think it's vital. And that, and I always go back to what I said, you know, sometimes we say things and we're, we're, we're absolutely dead wrong. Okay. And I got no problem admitting when I've been dead wrong, but sometimes we say things and we're spot on. And what we said way back when Alex Grinch was hired is now you got to change the 11 guys on the field and you got to do it pretty quickly. And we're seeing them begin to take the Juco route to do that. We have seen a bit of attrition on the defensive side of the ball, some unexpected twists and turns for these uh, or former signees with the university of Oklahoma 
Starlin Baldwin on the back end and the second there is the one who comes to mind immediately for me who had the injury. Things started looking up. All of a sudden, Alex Grinch is on campus and Baldwin is basically gone, even though he's an in-state kid, homegrown, right here from the state of Oklahoma. When I'm looking at what Alex Grinch must do, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The problem has to be addressed and it has to be addressed from day one, not three years in, not four years in, when you start to get that natural changeover as players either graduate or um, head to the NFL for, I was I was going to say for whatever reason, but obviously. It's pretty much only one reason you go right, to the NFL. The reason because you're making a career out of that. Needless to say, Matt, when I'm looking at Alex Grinch, um, I, I do recognize that he has to make changes. But I also have been very staunch in my stance on this is that there's talent on the roster. No, I'm, and I'm not saying that, but there's no, just no, not no. depth. I, well, right. you saw what you saw in the peach bowl against LSU mm-hmm. wasn't a lack of talent. It right. was a lack of depth. Right. And I, that's where I'm going with this. There's talent on the roster. We know that. But for instance, when it came to Neville Gallimore, when Gallimore moved on to the NFL, who was there to replace him? What was that name that was going to step up and have an impact? We didn't necessarily have one. Well, exactly. And it, it reiterates what I'm saying. Exactly. How and do you replace right, Neville Gallimore? You get the top two defensive tackles from junior college exactly. ranks. Exactly. And, and, and that's where I'm going with this. Was that Oklahoma, obviously, through the assessment after arriving on campus, Grinch came to the conclusion that something had to change. But he worked with the talent that he had until he could get – Players, physicality, athleticism, speed, all of these components that fit the scheme that he was implementing. That doesn't just happen overnight. I'm okay with going after these JUCO kids. I know it's not an end-all, be-all, because eventually Oklahoma is going to be in a spot, at least I'm hoping this is the case, is going to be in a spot where they're saying, look, we we're plentiful with talent at nearly every position. So let's go out and and let's find that next crop to bring in and not necessarily have to, or be forced to feel like the only option is a plug and play player who has experience on the collegiate level. Yeah. And Oklahoma's, you know, just to be clear, Oklahoma's not just recruiting only Juco talent on the defensive side of the ball. There's two kids just this week, both athletes that are, making their kind of my final four, my final six or whatever. Um, One of those guys happens to be Tommy Hill, who is a teammate of Christian Leary. He's an athlete, 6'1". He's going to be a cornerback. Well, I know for sure they're recruiting him as a defensive back. I think he's going to play corner. And so there's a, that's a kid you can bring in as a freshman along with a couple of Juco guys. And he doesn't, as a freshman, doesn't have to immediately that pressure's not there to go out and and be that guy. The the other thing, there's another kid out there, and I love this kid, Raheem Sanders. You, you need to go watch some film on him. Um, R A H E I M Sanders, and just go look. He, this kid is fun to watch. Um, I don't know where you play him. That's the thing is, I just I don't know. He's got 32 scholarship offers. He's a star on defense. He's a star on offense. He and we've talked about him um, on the podcast before. He only played four games on defense last year, and in four games he recorded six sacks. And so, 
he's right now a lean towards Arkansas, but it's not a strong lean. I think it's something that Oklahoma can jump in and, and, and tear him away. Um, and you know, Oklahoma's listed in his final four. Um, and you know, there's Arkansas, Florida state, Missouri, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. And again, when you're talking about Oklahoma going against those types of programs, I feel pretty confident, you know, Florida state, I think they're a sleeping giant at some point, they're going to get the right guy at the right moment. And they're going to, they're going to rise back to the top because they're, they're, they're in old blue blood, but they're not there right now. I, I, I like this kid. Both of them would be true freshmen coming in. Both of them would have the opportunity to develop. Now, it's not all good on the recruiting front for the University of Oklahoma. There is some, a little bit of bothersome news that we're going to go over, and then we're going to really quickly give you our top 10 uh, going into the 2020 college football season. Well, when everything is trending your way as far as recruiting, you kind of feel really good about it. But then something happens and it just makes you pause and step back and reflect. And that could be what's happening with Oklahoma and Christian Leary. Christian Leary has long been synonymous with Caleb Williams and Mario Williams. They were the hot dog gang that we've been talking about. I'm not saying the hot dog gang is over, but what I am saying is Alabama has gained a lot of trackage, traction with uh, with Christian Leary, so much so that 24-7 Sports, actually this last week, Andrew Ellis gave a crystal ball prediction of Leary going to play college football in Tuscaloosa. Now, if you're needing to know who Christian Leary is, 5'9", 180. He's the number 19 prospect from the state of Florida and the number 18 receiver prospect in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports, currently sitting on 43 scholarship offers, and he's settled between Alabama, Auburn, Florida, or Oklahoma with the Crimson Tide, like I said, making a late, late push. Have we reached the stage where it's Christian Leary, or Egbuka, or can you still have Christian Leary and Emeka Egbuka? I don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that question. And I'm looking at the fact that Oklahoma has a kid like Danny Stutzman, who also is a, a versatile prospect. Now, I'm under the understanding that Oklahoma is recruiting him as a linebacker. Yeah, he'll be defense. But we know that it's not it, – it's – it doesn't happen frequently. I don't want to give that impression, but it's it also isn't extremely uncommon for a player to shift positions after they've right. arrived on campus because of the emergence of another player or an unlikely candidate sliding into a role that was a more natural fit for them, again, after everyone arrives on campus. So I know that he can potentially play that H-back or that tight end type role at the University of Oklahoma, talking about Stutzman here. And so you do, you, you've you got to think, is Oklahoma going to take three, four, potentially five receivers if you had to pick between the two? Leary's a really good option, and I don't ever want to slight him, but you would take Egbuka in a heartbeat. Well, I've got some breaking news. Honestly, just breaking news right now on Christian Leary, if you want to hear it. Yeah, go for it. Um, Brian Bishop, also with 24-7 Sports, one of their exports, has given Christian Leary a crystal ball prediction for the University of Oklahoma. So and that's got, happening now. Yeah, see, so you, got, you got three crystal ball predictions out there now. It was 50-50. Brandon Drum uh, had given um, Leary back in April. Um, the crystal ball for Oklahoma, Andrew Ellis, just uh, earlier in the week, uh, two days ago, uh, gave it towards uh, Christian uh, for Alabama, and then Brian Bishop uh, gives it for Oklahoma. So, 
Alabama is gaining traction, but it makes you want, again, I think there's an ebb and flow here between Leary and I think they're connected in that, look, top talent, Oklahoma's going to go four or five deep at receiver, okay? But top talent, you can only have so much of these elite guys, in my opinion, because of what you said, that they to go to the NFL. And it's hard once you get past three, it's hard to find enough time in a game to catch those passes. And I don't know. I really don't know. I would love for them to be able to. I don't know if they can land Emeka Ebuka and Christian Leary. It makes me think if now he's getting another crystal ball prediction going towards Oklahoma, that means that Ebuka is another step closer to going to Ohio State. That's the way I read that. Right. And, and I, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and say I want to be wrong. I want to say I want to be wrong on that. I'm going to say this. Oklahoma can take both of them. That, that's not an issue. By any stretch of the imagination, Oklahoma can take both names. The likelihood of them taking both names is not as great as the, the likelihood that they would, given the opportunity. But if, if I'm in Christian Leary's situation, I don't see any harm in keeping your options open. He hasn't committed. We know that he's set for the beginning of June to make his commitment. So, of course, hearing this news, all the universities that are in the mix are going to begin recruiting him extremely hard because they want that verbal. Doesn't mean things can't change down the road, but they want that initial verbal, and they want to make a quick but lasting impression here just weeks before that commitment. Christian Leary would be, as I've mentioned, a great pickup for whichever university he chooses to attend. But all signs for me, because of the ties that you've mentioned, Hot Dog Gang, Caleb Williams, the longtime lean towards the University of Oklahoma, all signs at this point in time point towards Norman. It, it's it's hard to bet against Oklahoma for Christian Leary. There, there's a lot more tie-in with Christian Leary to the University of Oklahoma than there has been at Mega exactly. to the exactly. University of Oklahoma. Again, I'd love to see them both come. But again, you you got two guy two two guys that are really good. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a five star and a four star already committed. And you're, I I haven't looked at the numbers in terms of the measurables for Ibuka, but I do know that Oklahoma has been built on speed for years. Oh, Ibuka is in years. It, here's how good, in my opinion, here's how good Ibuka is. If he comes, he'll be the best receiver in this class. And you know, I'm high on Mario Williams, and I'm mm-hmm. high on Christian Leary. Their speed, now their speed separates them you know, immensely. And again, we've got video of both of those guys, heartland sports.com. Go look at it. We've got video of those guys running away from defenders. A book is better than both of them, in my opinion. And, and it's obviously that's the reason that he's warranted or he's garnered the attention that he has at this point in time and received a five-star rating. Right. I, I believe he's a unanimous five-star, correct? I believe so, yes. When you look at a guy like Egbuka, I, I would buy into the idea that he would be better. He would be the best receiver of the class. But at the same time, when I think of speed, I, I'm thinking of guys like Hollywood Brown. I'm thinking of guys currently on the roster in Charleston Rambo. You're essentially looking for someone who can fill that role because Rambo's not going to be here forever. He may have one, two more years in him. Yeah, he may have one. And that's what I'm leaning towards because he may be the go-to. He may be receiver number one this year. He's my guy, my breakout guy for this year. I, I think him and Austin Stogner, um, I think they, they become Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews type, mm-hmm. type combo. And so, again, 
You're and, looking, and, and you, you got to look at the injury to Hazelwood. That kind of sets that up as the well. The injury to the transfer from UCLA. As he's well. going to play. I just don't know. I don't think it's day one though. Well, um, but he's going to play. Um, you're talking about Theo Howard. Theo Howard. Thank um, you. He's he's going to play. Um, and I, I again, you you got you got a you got a, a suspended receiver. You got two injured receivers. Yeah, I think Charlton Rambo is going to have a heck of a season. And I agree. But again, that's why I think you're. You're not picking between the two, but you are picking between the two. Let's just lean into that all the way. You're essentially picking between Egbuka at this point in time and Leary. Yeah. Yeah, and if I had to have him, like if I had could, if I could only have one, I would pick Egbuka, but Leary's again, what I said earlier. Leary's not he's not chopped liver. Well, and I'm hoping this is if if it is Leary, I'm hoping that that I think relationship, it's gonna be. the relationship that's currently being formulated and established between himself and a guy like Caleb Williams is something that produces far greater than, and it's again, no slight to any individual player, but far greater than the production that we would have seen Mm -hmm. from Caleb Williams and Ibuka. Yes. Yeah, I I agree. Okay. So here's what we're going to do to to close it out. That's, that's it for the big recruiting rundown. Um, It's just going to get more and more intense. I think from here on out as as the summer hits, but we're going to talk about some preseason top 25 stuff, rich. I'm going to read you the sporting news, top 25. Okay. And then you and I are going to both give our own personal top 10. Now here's, here's what I want to do though. I, Cause I, I don't want to just rehash old news because this is a couple days old. I, what I want to do is I'm going to just go down and read you the read them in order. And then all you got to do is say that surprises me or shocked or whatever. Okay. Okay. If you think one's out of order. Okay. All right, here we go. Number one, that Clemson. surprises me. I'm kidding. I didn't even start it. Clemson Tigers get number one. Ohio State Buckeyes get number two. At number three, you got the Alabama Crimson Tide. That was your first opportunity. You didn't take it. Number I'm four. Not, I'm not surprised okay. by that. Number four, Georgia Bulldogs. I'm a little surprised by that. Number five, the defending national champions, LSU Tigers. Number six, oh, go ahead. They could be lower, but that, they're okay. They they lost an entire NFL roster, but whatever. Uh, number, <laughs> number six, the Oregon Ducks. Number seven, you got Oklahoma. Number eight, Notre Dame. Nada, huh? Number nine, Penn State. You can tell by my pregnant pauses, that's what I'm expecting. I know, to. I know. Uh, you got the Florida Gators rounding out the top ten. That surprises me. Okay. Uh, Auburn Tigers, number 11. Minnesota, but you don't have to pause so long. Minnesota, Minnesota, number 12. Texas Longhorns, number 13. At number 14, you got the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Number 15, Michigan Wolverines. Number 16, Wisconsin Badgers. Number 17, Texas A&M. Number 18 is going to be Utah. Number 19, wow. Mac Brown and the North Carolina Tar Heels. Number 20 is Cincinnati. 21, Arizona State, 22, Louisville, 23, Kentucky, 24, UCF, and the Boise State Broncos ran out the top 25 at number 25. Now, um, we'll have plenty of opportunity to comment on this because we're going to do our top 10. But before we get there, because neither of these teams are going to be in my top 10, and I doubt either of them will be in your top 10. So here's my question to you, Texas and Oklahoma State. I believe Oklahoma State is the second best team in the Big 12 going into this season. When you look at what they've got offensively, 
they are where Texas had hoped to be a year ago where you've got receivers for days. You've got probably one of the best running backs in the nation in Chuba Hubbard. And then you've got a quarterback going into his second year who really showed a lot of promise in his first year. Whereas Texas, you got the name brand of Texas. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. You you lost your you lost your, your good receivers. You lost well, you never really had a running back, so you're hoping you have one this year. You've got a quarterback who has a lot of hype around him, but has done very little in terms of college football accomplishments, other than the fact that he plays for the University of Texas. Can you make an argument for Texas being ahead of Oklahoma State, or would you agree that the Cowboys should be the second best team in the Big 12? I do agree that the Cowboys should be the be- the second best team in the Big 12 in these preseason rankings, but I also see that Texas at the quarterback position has experience, something that Oklahoma State does not have. Spencer Sanders is going into his second season. After an injury. Yeah, but he got a lot of experience before then. Okay. To each his own. Okay, we'll, we'll see. agree I mean, to disagree. He, he played in Austin. I mean, right. And and like I said, Matt, it's it's not. So a, that's fine. So you're going with Texas. I'm saying Oklahoma State is deserving because I believe. But who would you go? You you could only have one. I, not, I'm going. I'm going Oklahoma State. Oh, okay, all man. The way. I thought you were arguing against me. No, and and the reason is you look at the talent. You've you've pinpointed what's on the offensive side of the ball. Tylen Wallace, I know had that injury as well, but he's going to be potentially mm-hmm. the best receiver in the Big Twelve. Once again, yeah. needless to say, you've also got to look at the the defensive side of the ball. And Oklahoma State is a very opportunistic defense. And they've had uh, Peel, Howard Peel? Harvey. Harvey, thank you. Um, had an incredible season last year. I'm expecting him to pick up and anchor this defense. All of a sudden, it looks like a, something's brewing in Stillwater. They're they're going to be a formidable. They're force. they're going to be scary good on offense. I'm glad Bedlam is in Norman this year, but they're going to be scary on offense. And and really, you know, Mike Gundy is going to be the guy that, um, you know, how he calls plays in big games. That's going to be the deciding factor, I think, to how good Oklahoma State is actually going to and be. And turnovers. And, and turnovers, but I, I'm putting more pressure on Mike Gundy. Okay, so we're going to start with our top 10. We're going to start with number one, and we're going to work our way down. I said this to you off the air. I don't know if you were messing with me or not. We're about to find out. But I said we're going to go from one to 10 because it's obvious across the board Clemson's the top team in the country. Now, you pushed back on that, but again, I didn't know if you were joking or not. So here we go. Here's your chance. Clemson's my number one. Agree or disagree? My number one is also Clemson. Okay. The Clemson Tigers. Returning Trevor Lawrence, obviously a Heisman candidate, potentially the front runner there. I know that there are other candidates who are, are going to be almost neck and neck at the beginning of the season, but you like skill position wise, a guy like Travis Etienne being in the backfield here. And he could have easily gone in the NFL draft. Exactly. The thing about Clemson is there are no glaring holes. There are no major issues that they have to address heading into the season. Their experience, they've been in the college football playoff four out of the last five years. I'm expecting them to be there once again. Yeah, and Justin Ross is the guy you didn't mention as well on on that. Uh, I I think it's it's hands down, honestly, going into the season is Clemson and everybody else. That's the right. way I and, look at it. And the anchor for that argument for me is the defensive line that Clemson possesses. We've known we've known just how good that defensive line can be under a guy like Brent Venables. It's going to be up to snuff once again this year. Right. Okay. So number two for you is probably going to be the same as me. But go ahead. My number two, 
um, is Ohio State. And judging by oh, your no, reaction, I have Minnesota at number two. Judging by your reaction, you wanted me to wait, or you wanted me to say something about Alabama. I'm guessing that's your number two, but Ohio State. No, actually, Ohio State's my number two okay. as well. High-powered offense, Ryan Day being at that university has basically transformed the way that the program has been run on the offensive side of the ball. And it's in a very pleasing way to those who are fans of the Buckeyes. The one thing that is a knock for Ohio state for me and what keeps them out of that number one position is their losses on the defensive side of the ball. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they've got three returning starters on the defensive side of the ball. And the biggest loss of all of those is undoubtedly Chase Young. Yeah, Chase Young gone. They're going to try to fill on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to try to fill J.K. Dobbins' shoes with Trey Sermon. And, you know, as an Oklahoma fan, I'm wishing Trey Sermon nothing but the best unless he plays Oklahoma. Right, and, and the pressure won't be, in my opinion, as big on the running back this year because Justin Fields has that year under his belt. Right, and then Jeff Okuda is a guy that they're going to they're going to miss as well. I I think Ohio State's pretty good, and and I, I this is who I would pick to play in the national championship as of right. If I had to put money right now on who's going to be in the national championship, it's these two schools. I just think Clemson's that much better, though. That's just the the way I, I look at this. Number three, I've got I've got the defending champions, and and my my rule has always been, and here's the reason why I see your face. My rule has always been. You're you're if you're the defending champion, you're number one until somebody knocks you off. Well, clearly, LSU is nowhere near Clemson or Ohio State as far as how good these rosters are going to be. But my next four guys, my next four teams. So there's Clemson, Ohio State, and then the next tier down, the next four are all replacing the quarterback. They're all replacing key position players and so forth. And so I don't, I'm telling you right now, LSU will not be the number three team in the nation when it's all said and done with, but I'm at least giving them credit right now. When you look at what the next lineup, next line of characters are going to be, I'm going, I'm going to give the national champions their due and say, I use this at your number one until you knock, someone knocks you off. Well, you're number three until someone knocks you off. <laughs> I am not giving them that same sense of grace. In the assessment, LSU Texas is going to be huge. By the way, if that game gets to get played in September, All right? Huge. At, at number three, I've got Alabama. I get that you you lose a guy like Tagovailoa. You have a disappointing season by not appearing in the college football playoff. Something that I don't think has ever happened to Alabama since the inception mm -hmm. of the college football playoff. The defense wasn't quite up to par with previous years, giving up, I believe it was five, roughly five more points per game. Granted, they're only giving up 18, so not even, not even three touchdowns throughout the year. That's where the questions are going to remain. I think even though you lose a guy like Tua, you lose Jerry Judy, you lose Henry Ruggs, Alabama's got one of the best offensive lines in the country, and that's what they're going to rely heavily on mm -hmm. as they enter this upcoming season. Experience, though, at the running back. So it is the I don't have any real major concerns, but that question is, can they reload and get back to where they were in previous years on the defensive side of the ball? 
because they certainly have the talent to do so, and they've got the defensive mind to put them in a position to be successful each and every year. Yeah, Dylan Moses is going to be the guy to watch on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama. Najee Harris is going to be the key to that. You talked about the offensive line. They're going to ride that offensive line and Najee Harris. Mm -hmm. They lost their top two receivers to the NFL. And then, I mean, how much confidence do you have in Mac Jones? And that's, that's the thing that's going to come down to. At some point, Mac Jones is going to have to win a game for them can he do that? And that's why there's a lot of question marks around the University of Alabama because you had you've had received uh, quarterbacks for the last four years who were synonymous with making those big plays to win games, and we haven't seen that from Mac Jones. Granted, he right. very small sample size last season, but I've got Alabama at number four. You got him at number three. I do have him at number so three. So there's my number four. So you yeah. go ahead and go into and, your number and four. Just that quick little ending statement about Alabama is this is where the years in years of top recruiting classes begins to have to earn its keep oh, yeah. at Alabama yeah. because we're we're on the precipice of a change happening. That dynasty could potentially crumble if the ship isn't righted. There's a lot of good teams in the SEC and a lot of those who are looking to crack that college football playoff just like LSU did last yeah. year by bumping Alabama out. At number four, this might come as a surprise, and I really, really tried not to put this team at number four, but I just couldn't help myself, and that's the Oklahoma Sooners. Oh, wow. Despite a new quarterback, you still have talent in Spencer Rattler, who everyone believes is going to be the starter. You have, again, one of the best offensive lines in the country with a proven running back in Kennedy Brooks, as well as a stable of options behind him to rely upon as Spencer Rattler gets used to the speed of the game. But with his athleticism, with his ability to move and throw on the run, I think Oklahoma remains fairly successful. Uh, I would say that they would even be more successful or at least on par with what Jalen Hurts put up this past year. And that's no slouch of a season for Jalen Hurts. Outside of that, <laughs> we've mentioned it. We'll continue to talk about it. All the questions are on the defensive side of the ball. Can this defense take that next step, overcome this hurdle that has been their Achilles heel for so long and begin to actually punish teams when it matters most, when those opportunities arise. We can take last year, for example, how many passes when lobbed up into the air went in and out of the hands of a, a defensive player for Oklahoma? One, two, okay, maybe 10 too many. Oklahoma's got to capitalize on those. That's the hurdle I want them to get over. That's the turning point. If they can do that, definitely worthy of that number four spot for me. All right, well, I've got, I'm going to keep leading you right now because of the way these things are stacking up. I've got the University of Oklahoma at number five. I was trying to think, how can I do a non-homer pick? And really, I, you, you make him – what the difference between you and I is where I put LSU at number three, and you chose not to do that. And I understand mm -hmm. that. But I've got Oklahoma at number five, and, and I, I like Kennedy Brooks. I like your comment about Kennedy Brooks. There's a lot of conversation going into this season about Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State being the top running back in the Big 12. But this is going to be possibly the, the most we've ever seen of Kennedy Brooks in a football season. And I think it's going to be not just a breakout season for him. He's a guy who's already broken out. But it's going to be a season where Kennedy Brooks could really push Chuba Hubbard for that moniker as the best running back in the Big 12. Right. I've got the Sooners at number five. And he will not be splitting as much time, which is what you're he's going to. Yeah, he's going to split time. But, but you've talked about Trey Sermon, obviously transferring to Ohio State. Ramondre Stevenson potentially serving out suspension, that suspension. Right. So really you're looking at TJ Pledger as that Marcus next guy Major, up. Yeah. Marcus Major, exactly. 
for number five, I'm just going to leap in there. This one's really going to catch you by surprise. I've got the feeling because I put Penn State there. Wow. Penn okay. State, in my opinion, best defense in the Big Ten heading into this year. I would not have said that last year, but I am saying that this year. They, their one, one major problem that they could never solve the riddle to was giving up big plays. Mm-hmm. I think if they can limit those big plays, I think it's something they'll work on. It's something, obviously, that's going to be emphasized and stretched. But if they can limit big plays, they might upset Guess who? Ohio State. Why? Because they're not playing in the horseshoe this year. Penn State, not qu- not any question marks for me on the board. I'm just I'm I'm wondering if a team that plays at a slower pace can keep up with some of these high flying offenses that they're going to be paired against. Okay, so give me your number six, then go ahead okay, and lead n- into that. Number six is, is Georgia. For me at this point in time, Georgia, I did want to put extremely high on this list. I argued with myself to put them at number three, but settled on dropping them to number six for a slew of reasons. One of those being, I mentioned this about Alabama. Georgia's in a spot where they've recruited extremely well over the past several years. They've had top five recruiting classes since Kirby Smart arrived on campus. Now that those are the classes that are going to have to earn their keep on the field. There's a lot of changes Going in at Georgia, a new offensive system, not a lot of time to implement it, and they have to break in a new quarterback. That, to me, is a recipe for disaster in a conference that has prided themselves on defense. We're going to see Georgia struggle, but I believe they'll get it figured out because they have a top-notch head coach. Well, we saw Georgia struggle last year. Offensively, Georgia struggled a whole lot last year with Jake Fromm. You mentioned the new quarterback, Wake Forest transfer Jamie Newman. It's not that he's just breaking in a new quarterback. This kid's a transfer quarterback, so he hasn't been in your program for one, two, or three years, and now you're getting him a chance to to jump out there and it's shine. It's not a guarantee that and he'll start. I think it is, uh, but also Todd Munkin, you got to you got to put in there mm-hmm. as as the new right. o- uh, offensive coordinator. I've got Georgia at number six as well, and when I, I talked about the the teams, really, you know, LSU, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Georgia, all of them replacing quarterbacks. I would say really Alabama and Oklahoma are in better positions than LSU and Georgia when it comes to this topic because Alabama's going with Mac Jones. He's already played for them. Oklahoma's going with Spencer Rattler. He's been on campus for, you know, really. Was the last quarterback we saw of the 2019 season. But the reality is he came in early. I know he didn't come in early, sorry, but he came in during the summer and he really – caught up and passed Tanner Mordecai through the season leading up to that moment in the Peach Bowl that you're talking about. Oklahoma and Alabama, both in better positions than LSU and Georgia. Again, I'm just giving LSU the benefit of the doubt. I always feel like winning the national championship earns you some credit. And like I said, I've been that guy when I voted, I always vote number one, you know, defending champs until someone knocks you off. So I, but I've got Georgia with you at number six. I've got one of your teams that you've already mentioned at number seven in Penn state and I'm just going to say this briefly about them. You mentioned defense. I think Penn State could potentially rival Ohio State as the best offense in the Big Ten. They're loaded at all the skill positions, and they've got a healthy offensive linebacker. Working so, the spread in there. Right. So number seven for you is who? Number seven for me is Florida. I believe when you look at the roster and solely based on level of talent, Florida may be the most talented team in the East, which is a huge a huge statement because of what I just said about Georgia pulling in all these top five recruiting classes under Kirby Smart. But Florida, 
They've got some things figured out that Georgia doesn't have, which is their offense. You know who the starting quarterback in Trask is going to be once you step onto the field, whenever the season starts. Where where Florida really failed last year for me, granted they had one of the top defenses in the country, and we saw that on display time after time after time, but the offensive line never really held up. And there were turnovers from basically every single position imaginable mm-hmm. on the field at any given point in time, which is really weird when you, when you talk about a place kicker fumbling the ball. Not to say that that's what happened, but I, I'm saying there were so many fumbles. It was hard to keep track of uh, or turnovers. It was hard to keep track of where they were coming from for Florida. Those are the biggest question marks for me, the value of possessions as well as the offensive line. They've got to figure those things out. I, I like Kyle Trask. I've got Florida a spot below you at, at number eight. Um, again, I think they're going to be typical SEC team right now. I mean, you got you got Dan Mullen there, who is a, a, a traditional diehard for the SEC, meaning I think they're going to be pretty good on, on defense, but there's going to be some question marks as to what they can do offensively. I still think there's going to be some limits there to Florida. They're going to be good. That Florida-Georgia game is going to be huge. But I've got them a couple spots back uh, than the Bulldogs at number eight. Uh, Who you got number eight? Number eight is Notre Dame for me. I believe they've put together quite a team, but they've done so quietly. And it's largely because when they run into their major opponents, they've never been able to overcome that hurdle that sits in front of them. That's going to be the exact same case this year. And and I'm just going to jump in here and tell you, that's the reason why they're not even in my top Mm -hmm. ten. But go ahead. It's... Hey man, when you get double digit wins years, <laughs> yeah, I, I got years, you. I got you. Go you've ahead. got something right. going that's positive. Notre Dame, like I said, I, I just believe they're quietly one of the better teams mm-hmm. in the nation. They're not going to turn heads. They're not going to get the same recognition that some of those like the Clemsons and the Ohio's, excuse me, Ohio States will this year. But they've got something good going on there. They're going to learn a lot about themselves early on as they have usually scheduled and will continue to schedule teams like USC. We know that'll be a good test for them. I believe Clemson is on their, their schedule this year. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but we're going to learn a lot about Notre Dame really quickly and whether they're deserving of that number eight top 10 preseason ranking from All me. Right. Give me your number nine. Then while you're number, at it, number nine, I did go ahead and place Oregon there. Okay. I know that everybody is going to talk about the quarterback situation when it comes to Oregon because you lose Justin Herbert, but you've got to look at what's around the quarterback. Whoever steps into that role is going to have plenty of playmakers at their disposal. They're playing in a weaker conference, so it's going to allow them time to develop, allow them time to build confidence in themselves, especially if we don't get the non-conference portion of the schedule. So Oregon's at number nine for me, even without Herbert, for that simple reason. Yeah, I've got Oregon at number nine as well, and I'm just going to stick with what you said, bad conference. Uh, I, I have zero confidence, zero faith in the Pac-12. My my final uh, team is you okay. If you, you want me to go ahead with number yeah, 10? Okay. I got Minnesota at number 10. The, the uh, I, I'm a huge PJ Fleck fan. Um, he's got his entire offense coming back, he's got his team that's body in to uh, what they did last year. And um, uh, this is a team I, I know w- w- I talk about conference dominance and and I, I bag on the SEC. And we've got you know a couple of with Ohio State and Penn State and now Minnesota. I, I'm, I'm a huge, he has won me over PJ Fleck. 
I'm going to go ahead and say coach of the year uh, because I, I love the mentality that this guy has and the way he's got guys to buy in. Number 10 for me. Number 10 for me is your number three in LSU. And I saw that coming. Yeah. And you thought they'd be in the top 10 for yeah. me or that I'd leave them out? No, I thought you'd put okay. them at 10. LSU number 10, new defensive scheme, Bo Pelini coming in there at at uh, Death Valley. Death Valley? Yeah, that's 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 the death. There's there's two Death Valleys. Okay, because okay. Clemson's yeah, Death I Valley said as well. That and immediately, I thought yeah. Clemson. New defensive scheme, as I've mentioned, Bo Pelini. We've talked at this point in time. Questions at the quarterback position. I'm I'm not as confident in who's going to be that starter as you are, but I know that LSU still has playmakers at the receiver position. They're losing what I would have considered their most versatile and potentially most dangerous weapon in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. When yeah. you when you remove him from the board, I don't know what's going to happen in the backfield for them. Look, uh, I, 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 Coach o, I'm a fan of Coach O, okay, and I, I've always been a fan of Coach O, and and he he got hosed out in California, um, but uh, he cut he captured lightning in a bottle, okay. Last year he captured lightning in a bottle. I don't know that he can do that again this year. Here's why I'm confident on on the starting quarterback. It's going to be the transfer kid because who they got coming in in 21. They 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 want to have a a quarterback competition, and so you you you've got to stop gap at quarterback, much like Oklahoma had with Jalen Hurts and Spencer Rattler coming in for 2020. I just don't. He doesn't have across the board. He doesn't have all the tools that he had this last year. No, it I was a great agree. run. It's going to rival when you look at the number of guys that went to the NFL from LSU. It rivals that what that 2002 Miami Hurricanes team. It's one of the greater runs and greater college football teams of all time, but it it's a one hit wonder when you're talking about LSU. Right. And, and I'm go gonna venture out because man, this is a, a great a great post idea. Something that I've seen starting to go around is ranking the national champions uh, over the past 20 years. Now the 2000 national champion in Oklahoma is number 17 on a handful of people's lists. Needless to say, LSU, that LSU team of 2019 would easily, very easily be in the top five for me. I, I, I can't argue that. Hey, I'm we're not going to say they're number one, but top five way over time. Uh, thanks so much for putting up with this. He's rich. I'm Matt. This has been the Sooner Nation podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.